Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together on Wednesday nights to discuss issues of faith in Jesus Christ and how to serve Him in the modern world. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast, which is a sermon from our series on holiness. So I want to start tonight by telling a story that I have told many times. And so forgive me for those who have been around a while because you've definitely heard it before. But it's my, one of my favorite stories and it lends so well to the topic at hand. It's a story about Mozart and a story about when he was sort of a young adult, still living at home, uh, but already like a gifted and accomplished pianist. Uh, I didn't know this, but his father was also a very accomplished pianist as well. And so Mozart being kind of in that stage of life, young and rebellious, he would go out drinking at night with his friends and then he would come home late at night. And if he wanted to play a prank on his father, what he would do is he would sit down at their piano that their family had and he would begin to play. And he would play like a well-known piece and he'd play and he'd play and he'd play and he'd get louder and louder and louder. And then he would stop one note before the end. And then you'd get up and you'd walk and you'd go to bed. And he would have woken up his father by doing this. And his father would not be able to go back to sleep until he had gone back downstairs and like hit that final note. And then he could go back in and fall asleep. I love that story and I hope it's true. Who knows if it is. But it's a great analogy nonetheless. The reason I want to tell it is because it really lends well into the idea of the type of lifestyle that God is calling us to do. Because in the same way that Mozart sort of left a song unfinished, what God has done uh, in this world is he has begun something beautiful and redemptive. He has begun to play this song of redemption, the song of God's glory. And he has now left it for us to continue to play. That through the work of his Holy Spirit within us, we get to participate in the ongoing melody and song of the kingdom of God spreading out into this world. Uh, He will come back to finish the song that he has begun. But during our lifetime, we get to play some of the notes of that song as well. And it is a great privilege. It is an amazing opportunity that we get to be invited in to the unfolding story of God's promise to radically transform this world through radically transforming our lives. And one of the best passages that illustrates this point is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's a well-known passage that you would probably know offhand as soon as I begin it. Uh, But in case you don't, it's great to turn your Bible to it as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it says this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This passage fits well with the story I told before, because it also has a sense of artistry to it as well. That word that's translated in English, workmanship, for we are God's workmanship, is actually the word in Greek, uh, poema. And it has this, you can guess, we get our word poem from that. It has this artistic bent to it. It's not saying that simply we are God's creation, though we are, but we are God's artistic creation. We are his work of art, in a sense. God is composing our life as you would a song or a poem. And that means that our life has deep significance because of him. Because of his ongoing work in our life, our life gains the sense of significance that it wouldn't have without him. 
And the promise here is that our actions, when we fall into and follow along these good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, our actions have eternal significance to them. That we can participate in something that will never fade away. That the impact we make will continue to ripple all the way into eternity because it's part of the larger story that God is telling. Because He is the one that is composing our life in such a way that flows into the grand story that is unfolding. Before becoming a Christian, this area of my life was where I felt my deepest need. I became a Christian as a teenager, and I don't think I was going through anything that was, you know, that bad, because I had a fairly good life. But, you know, teen angst and all that. I went through a period of feeling very worthless and feeling that life was incredibly pointless. I went through a period of just knowing that weight upon me, like nothing I would be able to do would ever really matter. My life was in turmoil around me because of the way that the country was just nosediving at that point. I lived in Zimbabwe at the time and it was going through a massive economic crash. And so all this crazy stuff was happening all around me and all this kind of stuff was just happening to you at the same time. And so in the midst of it all, just feeling very, very helpless in the wake of it all, very, very uh, that, like I couldn't do anything that would be of any significance at all. I could not affect any real change in the world around me. And I, I couldn't put it into words at the time, but I'm very grateful for a book by uh, Brian Fickett. And he, uh, he wrote a book called When Helping Hurts. It's a very interesting book about the way that charity can sometimes be detrimental if done in the wrong way. If you are interested in sort of social justice and, and, and equity, it's a very good book to read. But when he, in this book, he describes what poverty feels like to poor people. <clears throat> and so he asks, he, he and his team went around and asked people who were living in poverty, what does it feel like to be poor or how would you describe poverty? And they gave very, very interesting answers because when we think of poverty, if we're rich, we think of it as a lack of material things. Well, you're rich, you're poor because you don't have any money. But the way that they described poverty was that it was a lack of ability to make any lasting or significant change to their lives or to the world around them. Essentially, poverty felt like helplessness, felt like pointlessness, felt like I, couldn't, I can't do anything. And that's what poverty felt like. And when I read that, it kind of gave words to that feeling that I felt very strongly prior to knowing Christ. Was, it was poverty. It was a state of just knowing that my life just felt pointless. And I couldn't affect any change in my life. And then so to go from that to the opposite of it, to, to be birthed into a relationship with God in which I knew now that my life had meaning, my life had value. I felt this gift of God, of purpose, that had come into my life and it is still today the thing that out of everything that I have received as a Christian still gives me probably the greatest, most tangible sense of joy and pleasure to know that my life is meaningful, to know that I, I mean, I have the gift of knowing that my life is significant, that I'm walking towards something that is of lasting value. And, you know, it's more than just that this enriches our life. This is actually very, very much part of salvation. That in the same way that I have been rescued from sin, I've also been rescued from insignificance. I've been rescued from obscurity. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about how hell, I, I, I want to say this right, 
and he's just sort of theorizing here. I don't think this is something you could kind of look at scripturally, but it's a powerful idea. He says that, that hell would, is essentially etern, being eternally ignored. The idea that, you know, if, you know that feeling that <clears throat> when you like leave on vacation or something like that, you're gone from school for a week or whatever it is, and you come back and you're like, hey everyone, like, did you miss me? And they were like, oh, did you leave? Like no one noticed that you were missing. No one paid any attention to you at all. He says that that like to be ignored eternally by, by you know, the almighty God, that would be hell. And that's something that we, it would burn within us. <clears throat> and it's a powerful idea. And that's really part of what we've been rescued from. Being brought into a life with God is being brought into a life of significance. But it's one that we must now, this side of salvation, choose to embrace. One that we, because we can live a life in which we just sort of follow out our own passions. We just kind of do whatever we want to do. But if you look at the whole of chapter 2, that's the thing that we're saved from. We are saved from a life in which we're described as dead. Following a, a world which is just <clears throat> dead set in its disobedience. Living out of, of the passions of the flesh, the body and the mind, destined for wrath. That's what we've been saved from. The beautiful, the most two beautiful words in the world, but God. But God, before we were dead, now we are alive, created for good works. Before we lived out of our own passions, now we live for God's desires. And this is not to say that, if you, that you can't do anything that's good without God. Of course you can. People do good things all the time. But that unless you're alive with Christ, unless you are in walking in faith with God, then you're not aware of what he's doing in this world. And if you're not aware of that, then you're never going to consciously do anything that will make any lasting change. You're never going to consciously do anything that won't fade away. Because only his kingdom, only his glory will remain. And only what feeds into that will have lasting significance. And so, where do we begin? If we want to embrace a life like this, one that really does shine with the sense of purpose that God has created it to have, what do we need to do to begin this journey? And it begins with, just to sort of co-opt and steal the term that we're all aware of these days, is check your privilege. I think it begins with checking your privilege in a, in a Christian sense. Sorry, I'm stealing it. We see this is amazing passage in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. It's, it's too long. We're not going to go through it now. But, but this is basically this idea that that's, there's somebody before Jesus who really gets it. I mean, they get who he is. They get the significance of what it means to be in a relationship with him. And then there's someone who kind of doesn't, who admires him, who thinks he's good and, and nice, but nothing greater than that. And what we see in this story is that those who don't recognize the privilege, the absolute amazing opportunity that it is to know him, and to be in relationship with him, and to be brought in by his grace, they will live spiritually impoverished lives. They will live lives that are weak, lives that really won't be able to and I have that tangible sense of joy, that tangible sense of, of furious pursuit of God. It just won't translate. But the ones who grasp all of what God has done for them, 
Well, those will be the ones who will love him more eagerly and serve him more eagerly as a result. Be, be, be aware of that privilege it is that to know him and to go after him as well. The passage, Ephesians 2.10, is really making clear that we, we as often selfish and individualistic people, need to, to get in our head that, number one, we are his, we are his workmanship, that, that is that we belong to him, not ourselves. And that needs to radically reorient our perspective on what it means to live. And number two, that, that we are his workmanship. There's a craft to this. There's, there's an outflowing of life. We're destined for the good things that he has brought before us to walk within. And so we need to be active in this. We need to be productive in this in the same way that Jesus didn't just love us in a, in a theoretical sense, in an emotional sense, but in a tangible way. He came and he, and he participated and he worked and he did what was before him to do so that we might be brought into relationship. He did the good works we are called to, to live for him. And as we do that, our lives have the privilege of being ones that can reflect the glory of God. We have the promise that because of him, our lives will have eternal value, <clears throat> that our actions will build towards something that will last forever. There's a, a First Peter chapter 4, 11, which I read it and it didn't really hit me before until reading it again recently. Just the weight of this, First Peter 4, 11, it says this, if anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And what struck me about this passage is that our lives and our words can actually gl glorify God. I know it, it shouldn't strike me. I'm a pastor. I know this. But, but it struck me in a new way to think like, your life, as small as it is, can have a reflective quality, that it can glorify God. And it must be done upon His strength. So the condition here is, you know, there's this amazing promise that's given to us, but the condition is, you're not the star of the show. God is. Your life can contain this amazing significance. It can, it can shine with the light of God. But you're not the star. He is. We need to live in such a way that glorifies Him. And so think about that. Our goals should not reflect our desires, our comfort, prosperity, achievement, even ability. Our goals should reflect His character, His plan, His desires, His power, the advancement of His kingdom. These are the things that we need to meditate upon and think about. We, as much as we're willing to embrace this end, we are privileged to participate in that. And as we do so, I've found that life with God, man, it's an adventure. And I know some of you know this already. You know that what it's like to not simply go to work, but to view work as a mission field. Not simply to have friends, but have People who you love and are, and are pouring your life into them for the hope that they may come to know Christ as you do. 
to see life as one that contains these, these challenges and these opportunities for joy and these opportunities for deepening oneself uh, all over the place. It's rich with these types of things. This is not simply a simple life in which you clock in and clock out. This is a life in which mundane moments like riding on the bus or, I don't know, like having a, a random conversation with somebody can have eternal significance. And so you're looking for these things. And you're on the hunt to find ways that, you know, life isn't going to be boring if we embrace this. It can't be boring. Because if you invest your heart and strength into seeing God glorified, to see his kingdom come, you'll never be bored. Because you're also doing so by his strength, which means you're stepping out in faith very often, which is scary, but exhilarating and, and powerful. So everything contains this kinetic energy with it. Even I found one of the kind of habits of mine that I've formed is when I brush my teeth, it reminds me to pray. And so when I'm brushing my teeth, I very often am thanking God for something or I'm praying over something. And so even brushing your teeth can now contain something of, you know, of following in the life that God has for you in the way that we pray. John Piper says this, nothing gives more encouragement for daily life than to know the purposes of God in the world and to feel your heart warmly in tune with them. Knowing that, means that this, this year, 2020, doesn't have to just be terrible anymore. I mean, it could really be a one in which you turn away from, from following your own desires and building your own little sandcastle kingdom. Instead, turning your life over and turning your hands to the work that the eternal, most high God is doing in this world and to do things that glorify Him instead. To ask yourself the question, what is God doing in this world? Ask Him. Don't ask yourself, silly me. Ask Him the question, God, what are you doing in this world? What is my time on earth for? What am I here for? There's a, a the lead singer of YouTube, Bono. He said that his life changed when he decided to stop asking God to bless what he was doing. And instead, he began to ask, what is God doing in this world? And he started doing that because that was already blessed. If you want to live a blessed life, find out what God is doing and do that because it already contains his blessing because he's already doing it. Makes sense. I liked it. I kept it. <laughs> if we do that, then 90% of our daily walk is already before us. What are we going to do when we wake up? Or how are we going to conduct ourselves as we go to work, as we go to play, as we go and do these things? We know the good works that are set before us, most of them. Yes, there are decisions here and there that we'll need help to make, and we pray that God will help us to make those, but most of it is before us already. As the passage says, there are good works prepared in advance for us to do. So God has laid down the opportunities, and as soon as you open your eye to them, I promise you, you'll see that there are an amazing amount of them. And number two, that He has pre-supplied the power. As it says in 1 Peter 4.11, that we labor with the power that he has. It's God's strength that we use. So your life, and, and I mean this, your life uniquely, Jess's life and my life and Peter's life, we have things that God has prepared for you uniquely to do. Something that your sphere of influence and your talent and your life experience can lead you to accomplish that God has 
for you to do. What a privilege. We've been saved from meaninglessness. We've been saved from despair. We have been given the, the remaining days of our life as a gift to do something meaningful with our time. And therefore, he calls us to live lives of hope, that we have hope in this world. Hope means you, you work at something today with an eye at the future. You're working at something that you don't see it today, but you believe that it will accomplish something in the future. That's what really hope means. Investing your time, energy, passion, security, something, some valuable part of yourself into a goal or into a, a, an endeavor that will pay off, will come to pass. So, you know, we who hope are not those who settle for the way things are, but we labor for the way that they should be, the way that God desires them to be, the things that will last your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we work, we move, we press in for it because we know that whether or not we actually fail or succeed, just the action of attempting it means that we are attempting to do something that we know will ultimately succeed. It's better. Isn't it better to fail at something that will ultimately succeed than to succeed at something that will ultimately fail? I think it's, it's better. One of my heroes there's a guy I met, actually quite briefly, for the impact he's had on my life. We didn't know each other that long. We knew each other maybe two weeks when we had face-to-face time. His name was Rob Kane. He was, a, he was a youth pastor until he was 65. Let that sink in. He retired to become a missionary in China. This is an Australian man. He's a towering six-foot-five man. Uh, when I met him, he'd already retired. He was there, there in China when I met him, learning a new language, learning how to speak the language of the people. At 65, this is what he was wanting to do so that he could spend his rest of his life on the mission field. I mean, an astounding, astounding person. And so as soon as I met him, I just thought, I've got to learn as much as I can about you and about what makes you tick so that I can try and emulate it in my life. And so one of the questions I asked him was, how do you choose the right people for your team? You know, when you're building a team of people to help you in your ministry, how do you pick the right person? And he said in a typical Australian way, which I won't, I don't have the accent, but he said, you know, it's easier to install a steering wheel than it is to install an engine. And he meant by that, when you're looking for a person, look for someone whose heart is already on fire. He says, you know, you can teach people skills. You can teach them how to speak. You can teach them how to lead a Bible study, how to plan a program. What you can't do is give them that heart for Jesus. Give them that heart for service. Give them that passion to go forward. You can teach them the tools, but you can't give them that fire in their soul to see God's glory shine. And that is something that only God can give you. But it's something that comes when we begin to pursue something that's not talent-based, but character-based. And that's why I've chosen to open up this mini-series the way I have, to look at the privilege of sanctification. Because looking forward, what we're dealing with is how to increase in holiness. And you may be tempted to think, okay, if I want to serve God, I need to become talented. No, you need to become holy. You need to become someone who's passionate about conforming your life to the image of Christ. Because as you do that, that's what God blesses. That's what God uses. That's how we become vessels fit for His service. 
when we let go of things in life that dishonor him and begin to embrace the things that do honor him, it is through that that Christian life becomes an adventure. The promises of God begin to unfold in our life. And so by doing so, we begin to really follow in the right direction. At the end of the day, hope, I love this quote by John Ortberg, hope is the fuel that our hearts run on. And an increase in holiness is an exercise of hope. To do so is an exercise of faith. To, to, to continue to relinquish who we previously were, to embrace who we are in the image of God. To do so means that we need to labor tirelessly towards a goal. And to do so means we do so in every area of our life. And we look at a life before us and we don't know how God is going to use our life, the ins and outs of it. I've been consistently surprised with the way that God has made impact through my life. I, I like to ask you from time to time, what's something that I've said to you that's meaningful, that you remembered? And they'll often like point to like some random conversation that I've had like downstairs sitting by them. Like nothing I've preached. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's like the things that God uses are often the, the unexpected things. We don't know how God's going to use our prayers, our service, our, our art, our writing, our political actions, our music, our honesty, our patience our day-to-day labor, our mercy, our teaching, our outreach, our encouragements, our ideas, sacrifice, love. We don't know how he's going to weave it into the song that he is playing, but we know that he will. His song of redemption and glory that he continues to write today, we know that he is using it. And the more and more that we follow that promise of God, the more and more our life will bear fruit for his glory. And so my call as we begin this series is to invest, to strive, to hope. Knowing that God is looking for those who are serious about playing those next few notes of the song that he is playing. Why don't we pray together? We thank you, God, for our time spent together tonight. We ask, Lord, that what we discussed coming up and, and God, what I have said, God, may... may may it resonate with your word, may it come deep within us so that we might be transformed and conformed more and more into the image of Christ, Christ whom we owe everything to. What a privilege it is to know you and to love you. We pray that you guide us in this journey of holiness, this journey of submitting our lives to you so that we might see you and your glory shine through it. What a privilege. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us on the website peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find information about where and when we meet, as well as a catalogue of past sermons and other resources. Hope to see you soon.